Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Garden Faithful, the Athletics New York Rangers podcast. Do not adjust your speakers. This is producer Chris, Chris Flannery, leading the show today. Our intrepid reporter, Arthur Staple, is working his way across Western Canada trying to get to the Rangers. Um, He had some travel issues, so I'm filling in for him today. But have no fear, our regular co-host, former New York Rangers goaltender, Steve Valaket is here with us. Steve, how you doing, man? I'm doing really well. Uh, this is really interesting to work with you here with Arthur not being on board. It's one of those things where you realize there's a point in life that we're all replaceable. And this <laughs> yeah. could be the moment that Arthur finally realizes that he may be replaceable if this one goes well. There was a there was a really good note I got once from Joe Devaney. He was our longtime trainer for the New York Rangers. And it was right after a trade. I was out by by the ice before the game and he walked out. And I was saying, you know, Joe, it's really tough losing guys, guys getting traded. And he goes, Steve, the puck always drops at 705. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's right. Like, we're all replaceable, all of us. So, yeah, all good. I hope Arthur's doing all right, though, and has a, a nice time out there out west. It's a beautiful place to be. Yeah, absolutely. Well, in our case, the, uh, the recording starts at noon, and here we are. And uh, we have a ton to talk about today. Uh, we're going to get into Vladimir Tarasenko's first two games as a Ranger. Obviously, an incredible start there. Um, but honestly, I think we got to start with the uh, the Carolina Hurricanes game uh, on Saturday night. Artemi Panarin goes off, scores four goals, 
uh, on a line with Vincent Trocek, which we were led to believe was why we acquired uh, Vladimir Tarasenko to, to begin with, to put uh, the bread man with his friend on the top line with Mika Zibanejad. Things got shuffled up maybe halfway through that game. And, um, you know, Panarin scored the hat trick, uh, finished it off with a fourth one late in the third period. And um, I'm curious what you think about that game, because to me, as a, as a huge fan of this team and somebody who's, you know, rooting for them and, and hoping they can go on a deep cup run here, that game to me felt like a real statement uh, as a back-to-back, um, you know, traveling to Carolina, beating them at home, 6-2. That, that's a real convincing win, and, and I think it says a lot about kind of the mindset of this team and, and how, you know, how close this team is to really being a, a true contender in the league. It was the perfect road game, Chris. It was commercial break at 1130 on the clock and the shots were 10-4 in fair of Carolina in the first period. But there were a lot of one and dones. There were a lot of just shots to the net where Halak was able to swallow it up or the defense just sweeped in and cleaned the puck up for him. But the point was, was that after a 10-4 shot advantage, this is how leading shots on goal can be. I thought it was four grade A scoring chances for the Rangers and no scoring chances on the 10 shots from Carolina. Right. So it didn't make me, you know, concerned about the start or anything like that. I actually liked the start because they played Carolina the way that you have to play Carolina. Let them shoot, but do not allow them to get to the recovered pucks. So right. they played terrific. And, you know, when you measure a team during a season, we oftentimes have to look at who you're playing, when you're playing them, under what conditions. And when you talk about who, and it's Carolina, they'd only lost nine games in regulation going into that game. So you're playing against the second best team possibly in the NHL. Yeah, you could say arguably in the NHL at the time, at least based on record, Boston being one. It's the fourth game in six days for the New York Rangers. That's a hard week. I, I, lo- I remember looking back to my playing days, Chris. Anytime it's the fourth game of the week, that's a long week. They're always tough. You you like to look at the schedule and see a lot of threes there. Three and seven, that's manageable. But fours are tough. You don't have as much practice time, very little recovery time. And it's back-to-back with travel. And you're getting into bed three o'clock in the morning. You've got to get up. And and, and when you talk about the when, Carolina's been off for 10 days. So, you, you know, it just was one of those games that it didn't seem to me like the Rangers would have had a chance on paper going into it. Uh, and to me, again, it's it's sort of like the what when you're going through the who, what, when, where. Uh, it's a huge game for Carolina. They had all week to prepare for the New York Rangers, a team that knocked them out of the playoffs last year. There's animosity there. On top of everything else, it's, it's an away game. It's in Carolina, so they've got their own fans in the building. And I actually heard there was a huge response from the Ranger fans in, in rally as well. So that was nice to hear about. All in all, that's one of the best games of the year, a 6-2 convincing win. The Rangers are rolling. And I think that right now, I mean, you you look around the league, you have to say that this team is a contender. Um, I was looking at the record today, Chris. It's 31-14-8. And And we talked a lot in the earlier podcast. Eight of those losses were against non-playoff teams in November when things just weren't going well for the Rangers where they – maybe weren't wearing the contender tag well at that time. And now they are like, they've been really able to manage the expectations now coming out of the break, winning four games, like winning against Carolina and Carolina in the fourth game after the break convincing 
but take a step back and they cleaned house all week four wins in a row it's an amazing week you know what else snuck up on me chris was that uh the gold differential they're a plus 37 right now yeah. that's fourth fourth best in the league points percentage sixth best you know regulation wins tied with new jersey with 25 uh in seventh but no, this is uh, it's an exciting time to be a Ranger fan, man. You should be uh, sleeping pretty easy right now. Oh, believe me, I'm <laughs> I'm really enjoying it. I, I uh, it's funny. I actually I DVR a lot of the games because I, I like to put my daughter to sleep. I, I DVR the game. I watch it a little bit later. But that night, I was getting texts uh, constantly, and I'm like, guys, you know I'm DVRing the game. But everybody's very excited to see it, <laughs> and, and it's uh, yeah. No, I totally agree with you. I mean, I think um, you know, knowing that this team is probably going to add even a piece or two at the deadline, you know, you factor that in. It's like, man, who, who do you match up against on this team? If you can, if you can really add a piece to that fourth line, you're just going to roll, roll through teams. You know, this, this lineup's legit. And especially coming off an emotional game the night before, you know, the Rangers came out flying. We're, we're going to get into it. Vladimir Tarasenko scores on his first shot as a Ranger, but you, you know, you can expect an emotional letdown as well after that type of game. And then, you come into Carolina, and like you said, they they kind of played them even through the first part of the game, didn't give up anything crazy, and then really turned it on and and uh, and took the game over. Rangers shut them down in the third period, too. Yeah. You know, that's the best part. My takeaway at the end of that game, Chris, was eight minutes to go, the Rangers PK. That yes. that is it, buddy. Like honestly, when you have when you have the, the the horses on the bench to be able to shut them down, they had three denied entries on the blue line. The Rangers didn't let them in. They got one measly shot, weren't able to get into their setup. That's Those are those game-shaking moments that you see in the playoffs that can oftentimes turn a series, too. Um, the, the big keep PK to me was awesome. Um, yeah, you know, talking about uh, Panarin and Tarasenko and how the lines are all shaking up. You know, it's really interesting when you go back just a few weeks there and, you know, the Thursday game against the Bruins where the Rangers lost 3-1 and uh, Gallant said after the game, they should have scored three or four goals tonight, meaning the Trocek and Panarin line, but they could have easily been on for five just as easily. And he wasn't happy. And, you know, he said their chemistry has got to get better. And I know that you hear everything, number one. So a lot of times players will say, look, I don't like to read uh, press clippings. I don't want to see my stats. I'm not. Everybody does. And yeah. anybody that says they're not so full of shit, like yeah. everybody does. It's the way it is. There's too much noise around you. Even when you try and avoid it, Chris, you're running into somebody in your building in the elevator and they're like, oh, did you read what they said about you in the paper? I'm like, oh, man, I'm trying to stay away from that. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. You, you run into that. And I'm sure that Panarin and Trocek, you know, their ego takes a little bit of hit there. And they're saying to themselves, oh, yeah, don't worry. We'll find a way to get back together at some point. And we'll show you. And, you know, whether it's just for the game or it's something now that, Glant knows in the future he can go to just to mix up the rhythm of a game. The lines, the way they are were set up prior to the puck drop in Carolina, I'd imagine they go back to it. Uh, Zibanejad, Panarin, Tarasenko, I mean, that's one of the most skilled lines in the league. And I think you got to keep giving it some runway. You've still got time to to take a look longer at it. Yeah. And the uh, Trocek Kreider, I mean, Barkley Goudreau or VZ on the right side, whatever works. I mean, it's a straight line, uh, win the cycle type of line. I love that line. I think that line's terrific. And we've been gushing about how well the kids have been playing. So, look, I, this is a really good lineup. I, I'd be hard-pressed to say that I've seen a more skilled lineup 
in the eight years, nine years I've been covering the team. And before that, of course, I've always had a close eye on the team. But come on, I don't know if you remember a more skilled lineup than this. No, I mean, I'm with you on that. I mean, you know, in terms of like... uh just being able to mix or mix around the, that top six and, and have so many scores and so many different options up there and just different looks for the defense. You know, that's the thing, like you said, the Trocek, uh, Kreider, VZ or Gujar, you know, however you want to put that together, that's a straight ahead line. The, the, the Zibanejad, Panarin, Tarasenko line, it's like, you know, they haven't really had much time to, to practice and kind of get to know each other yet, but you can clearly see that they're going to be able to play all over the offensive zone. They're going to be able to use the full ice, use the corners, you know, jump in and out of spots where they can get a shot. Like the, the ability to put out a different line to, to confuse the other team's defense is, is really going to be something that we're going to, uh, I think fall in love with kind of as, as this gets down the stretch here. And like you said, they do have plenty of time to work on it because Chris Drury did the right thing and, and made the deal 11 games before the deadline. So they, ha- they definitely have time to work on that. Um, going back to, the combinations that we have in the top six, we can also talk about how the power play. Um, we weren't really sure. We talked about it when when Tarasenko was acquired. We weren't sure um, what they were going to do with the power play. Now we've had a look at it. Gerard Gallant has decided to go with two distinct power play units using Tarasenko on the second unit with Trocek, putting Heedle up on the top unit and uh, uh, making it work that way. What are your thoughts on the two distinct power play units that they're going with so far? Okay, so at first blush, I was a little concerned because Tarasenko wasn't on the number one unit. And the reason why I say that is because I had heard that, you know, during the bubble, and this is going back a little while, right before his trade request with St. Louis, that he wasn't happy not being on the power play. Yeah, There are always subplots within a season in the locker room that the fans and folks like us just aren't privy to. We're not there. We're not, we're not in the trenches. Um, so that was something that definitely was on my radar. Like, how is that going to go at the same time? It was presented pretty well though. It's, you know, it's going to be even. And if one line is out just before the power play begins, I think they're pretty confident starting with power play too. And it seems to me like there's going to be a pretty clear divide after a minute because there has been issue going into the last couple, whatever stretch of games where power play one was out there for too long. Sure enough, they score four goals on the week. Uh, So they go four for 10 and they had 20 scoring chances. Eight of them are high danger, pretty good balance. Uh, Three of the goals were off the same look against Calgary, Seattle, and Carolina. It was the same exact pass from Kreider to Mika. Um, I think that they understand right now as a duo that a lot has to go through them on the first unit and they know how to confuse you. I really believe that Kreider and Mika's relationship, they're just so close and they communicate so well together. I think it lends itself for just everybody to understand this is how the dynamics of a team work. You want to initiate and dictate play on the ice. And what I mean by that is that because the game's so fast and since the time after the 0405 lockout that we've removed the red line, there's so much speed and pace that goes through the neutral zone that it's really not a read and react game anymore. It can't be. It's almost too fast. That's the way I feel about when I watch it, especially when I get down to ice level, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the three-dimensional view of this game, you've got to see that if you're a fan, you've got to get down there for, for a few moments during a game just to see it because the holes open and close so quickly. It's a completely different game from up top or on television. And I feel like, like the, the Vancouver goal that Kreider scored where he drives back post, 
Mm-hmm. The reason why that's a goal is because he initiated and dictated space that he was going to take, and he shows the passer there quickly that that's where he's going. And it's not that Kreider is in between and might peel back for a, a received pass back towards his net or is in a 50-50 mindset. It's like, no, I've got one track mind. I'm going to initiate this play. I'm going to dictate where this pass is going to be received for me so I can allow the puck carrier to know. I feel it works the same way when we're watching the power play. When Kreider receives it on his forehand and Panarin's a right-handed player and he's got an outside pass. So he's got that outside passing lane to Chris down at the goal line as a lefty. And there's no way that the box can stretch and try and intercept that puck. That's a free pass. That's why, that's why you have a righty to a lefty there. You know, and oftentimes we've talked about, you know, the interchanging the different players on the power play. Well, a lot of it has to do with handedness and that's in case one really good example. So when Kreider gets that puck, He's got a couple of options. He can go to the bumper or he can try and get it on his backhand forehand for a shot himself or blind backhand to Mika. And like I said, that's three goals last week. And don't forget, Carolina, they would have seen the pre-scout. They would have known they scored against Calgary like that on the power play and Seattle the night before, and they still couldn't stop it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, that's that's the thing that, you know, we haven't seen in, in many years Uh you know, watching this team, the ability to keep the same players together on the power play year after year, you have them on the same line together, like you said, Mika and 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 Kreider together. They just know where each other are going to be. And when you have that amount of options on two units, um, you know, that 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 becomes a really dangerous power play. I'm curious what you think about um, how Filipinos looked on that top line, uh, on that top power play unit. And, you know, and then what you've seen. Obviously, it's only been two games. What what you've seen with Tarasenko so far kind of fitting in on that second unit. Yeah, so Phil, I, I just think the interesting thing is this. Um, I had seen that, yeah, this is what I found. It was 11 goals on of his 16 were from the left side of the ice. 11 of his 16, and I'm talking about 16, meaning uh, take away the empty netters and uh, also remove the uh, goalie error goal that was uh, Samsonov. Right. That's, how I, that's how I do my thing, right? Like I mm-hmm. like to slice the uh, data down, but... At any rate, 11 of 16 that he's beat the goalie from that side of the ice. So he's got a great one-timer from the left side of the ice. He's got a great one-timer when it's the same side of the ice. One-timer from the half wall, from below the goal line. It becomes a different touch for him as a lefty to receive a pass from Kreider below the goal line there. That's not one that he can get any real heat on. Mm -hmm. And he's not really a threat when Panarin gives him the puck from the half wall, if he's set up in the same bumper spot that Trocek was in. So he's more valuable to be on the other side of the ice, but you're now asking the power play to move to the other side of the ice and spend more time setting up there. That's where it becomes difficult. Um, I think it's a very tough look to have a lefty there. I'd imagine they're going to work through that. I think it's a look. I don't think it's permanent, but that's why you have these, you know, you got 29 games to figure out the best combinations. You have the pieces to have options at five on five and on the power play. That's the most exciting thing. There's just, there's so many weapons on this team. And I do like the fact that you're trying to mix in players from the kid line to get looks on the power play. So they get those touches because I know from talking to players, it's so valuable just to have that time where you're not always being pressured that time on the power play where you can carry it, get a few looks Stay warm. You're not on the bench marinating. You're staying in the game. So all of that stuff is so important. And as far as Tarasenko goes, what a first game, you know? 
Yeah. Like the best. I, couldn't, couldn't go better. Right. No, that's the best you could ever have. I mean, yeah. talk about a 24 hour turnaround after an 11 year run in St. Louis and your first star of the game, you come out for warmups, which was so cool. He's got three boys there and his wife that make the trip as well. His second shift, first shot, he scores the Tarasenko chant when he goes back to the bench. I mean, I, you know, I remember saying this um, to Jim Cerny years ago after I had had a game where, if you can believe it, they chanted my name. It was against the Toronto Maple Leafs. And, uh, I believe it, buddy. I'm sure I watched it. <laughs> so he said, Valley, what do you think about that? They were chanting your name. And I just sat in my stall and I said, you know what, Jim? Everybody deserves a Madison Square Garden moment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I remember just like it washing over me where I was just, I was just so, like, I love the game so deeply that I'd never forget that. And he will never forget that. And I thought that, that was a really neat night for a, a first game. And you know how hard it is when you get into a locker room and you've got to learn everybody's name. You've got to meet all the trainers, get to know everybody quickly. Everything's a blur. For him to be able to manage all of that, you can tell uh, you know, why he's been so accomplished. He's a Stanley Cup champion. I, I really like the number two 30-goal um, season, six 30-goal seasons. I think it was only player uh, excuse me, with the exception of two others that have uh, six 33 or more goal seasons in the last uh, since 2014. Mm-hmm. Like to me, that just really rings true the message from the team, which is we're going to get an elite scorer. Like that to me, by definition, is elite. You've done it that well for that long. So that's a big piece for the Rangers. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You know, the other thing that I think we're leaving out of this equation right now is the goaltending. So maybe we can get into that. And I, I think you know a thing or two about goaltending. Um, <laughs> you, you said before we started recording, you had uh, some uh, stats on Igor Shesterkin that you wanted to discuss. But before we get into Igor, how about we talk about Yaroslav Halak, who was in net against Carolina, I thought played um, another solid game. I believe that's seven in a row now for yes. Yaroslav Halak. And he's, yep. uh, you know, he's really showing why he was the right guy to go out and get to uh, to back up Igor, even at 37 years old. One of the stats that we ran, Chris, before the game was uh, his east to west save percentage. It's best in the league. Going into wow. the game against Carolina, he had stopped 86% of his east to west plays. Uh, at that point, I believe the number was 36 of them and uh, five goals against. He didn't get beat east to west in the game against Carolina either. Why is that important to me? Uh, it's important because it really shows the experience of a goalie and their ability to still be explosive at age 37 while being able to use all of that built-up experience that he's had in all of the games that he's been able to play and still be able to use it. Because the scary thing about being a goalie is, and I felt this at age 35, you have all this experience, but your body starts to fail you. Mm -hmm. You know, And you just don't feel like, I didn't feel at age 35 like I still had the same pop. And he is showing us that he still has the same pop at age 37, turning 38 soon. I think it's May. Wow. So that just, that says a lot about what he's been able to do. And what's really neat about that is that the team can identify that as a strength for him and be able to play their game without having any conflict in where they should be positioned defensively. Because when defensemen are defending, 
they're not just uh, occupying space. Their stick is so important in where it's positioned, especially when you're penalty kill or you're stuck in your zone at a long five-on-five stretch. You need to have good sticks. And and what oftentimes that means, it's not just taking stick off puck, but just having it in space. And I feel like they don't have to over-defend. The defensemen don't have to overthink it. And I think that's run into the seven wins in a row for him. There's just a very common bond and trust between goalie and players and hasn't been a drop off from Shesterkin to Halak. I mean, that says, geez, that says a lot to me. It's been a, a dynamic run of games to start 0-6 and then win seven in a row. I don't think I've ever seen that in my career. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you know what? That's an interesting point that you bring up because I think a lot of people don't, you know, consider that when you bring in a goalie, you go, well, the goalie just stays in goal and he does his thing and it's it's kind of up to him to to make the saves. But in your experience or, or as you watch it, I mean, how, it does seem like it takes a little bit of time for everybody to get comfortable together. You know, we, we, we don't really think about it that way, that that the defense has to understand kind of how Halak or, or whoever there is in goal is going to play. And it seems like they've obviously, you know, if he's won seven straight, they've reached that point where there is that comfort there. But, but right. But that's something we don't usually think about, that there needs to be that uh, kind of growing period between, you know, the defense and the goaltending. There's there's a trust and a bond that is so important to keep. Like I remember, uh, this is a long time ago, but I really like this example. It was uh, in 2012. I was coaching with the Islanders, and there was a clip of uh, the Boston Bruins were playing against the Buffalo Sabers. Ryan Miller was in net, and they scored on a two-on-one where Ryan Miller was really challenging, and the pass was just a tap-in back door. 16 seconds later off the face-off, it was Bergeron and Marshawn coming back down the ice again. 16 seconds later, you can see how it really reflected Ryan Miller's uh, positioning on the second two-on-one. He was all the way deep in the blue paint, and he got beat on the open shot. <laughs> so it's if you watch hockey that closely, you follow the same team, you can see these things break down in real time. And that was a really unique example because it was only 16 seconds. But that's that's the game in a nutshell, man. I'll tell you what, it's, it's it's almost like this one, too. When guys are screening for other players that are firing the puck from the point, if you hit a guy up near his collarbone face, good luck trying to get that guy to stand there and screen for you again if you're the defenseman <laughs> shooting from the point. Right. Like that That is a trust and bond that can be broken. And when it gets fractured, good luck trying to get that back on the rails. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I, I mean, I remember when uh, Ryan McDonough hit Zook uh, up high, and he, you know, it hurt him for the rest of the season. That's yep. It's a scary thing to see, and which is crazy that Chris Kreider is. I mean, he's been hit before, obviously. He well, do you know which that. one? I'm going to cut you off for one second. Do you remember the one last year in the playoffs? I think it was Game Two against Pittsburgh, where Panarin hit Chris up top. Yeah, like yep. right in the collarbone, face, neck area. And uh, I've been watching this closely just because that's in my head. Anytime mm-hmm. Panarin's winding up, Chris is out of the way. Like he is not. <laughs> it's just way, and I don't blame him. And I don't that's funny. I haven't noticed that, but that's, yeah, no, I do remember that. And that was scary. We were, you know, anytime yep. something like that happens, yeah, it could be anything. Um, so Igor Shosturkin, you had numbers on Igor Shosturkin. We talked about it before the show started. Let the people know. With Igor Shosturkin, the one difference from this season versus last season is this year he's given up 10 low danger chances. There's 29 games to go. And in all of last season, he only allowed nine. Now, that's one part of it, but you have to go a little bit deeper. And this is where the data kind of helped me go through the video. 83 chances he's had this year from the slot where he's had clear view of the puck. So imagine a two-on-one where the puck carrier steps into the middle of the ice and shoots on him. 83 of those, he's only given up one goal. 
So he's been elite. He's the best in the league there. All right. He's the best in the league there. But why, when the clear sighted shots come from outside the slot, has he allowed 11 this year? So from outside the slot, 11. From inside the slot, one. To me, there's only one reason it's it's focus, right? It's focus. That's a mental mistake. And there's a few reasons for that with goaltenders. It might be preparation is too intense. So you're a little fatigued during the game. So you have moments and lapses. Um, It might be because there are times where you think your game's so good, you just take a shift off and you once again have a lapse in mental focus. Sometimes in games, it's tough to meet expectations and you might, you know, not handle that part well. But there's got to be something there that I would, if I'm Igor, I want to look at that because those are the goals you have to eliminate in the postseason for the Rangers to go in a run. Those have to be eliminated. And it's not skill, Chris. It's not technique. It's not, oh, his blocker is tracking back off the release. It's not that. These are mental mistakes. And you hope, I would say the Rangers would hope, that the intensity and the way that we tighten our focus in the postseason would eliminate those because those moments wouldn't happen. But there's definitely a thing there because he's performing at a high level with the exception of those low danger goals against. It's very interesting. I mean, as the season started, um, you know, he didn't get off to the greatest start. and, And I think he admitted that he was putting a lot of pressure on himself to try to play like the Igor from last season, who was absolutely lights out and, you know, from, from start to finish, um, you know, maybe that's still something that's crept into his game and, and he needs to work on. But like you said, right. Hopefully when you get into the playoffs, that kind of stuff goes out the window. You're not playing for any kind of, not that he's necessarily playing to, to be the Vezina winner, but you're not playing for any kind of individual award. You're, you're playing for the Stanley cup. And maybe that, you know, maybe that's the thing that, that rectifies the focus there, but that is an interesting, uh, an interesting perspective from you, for sure. It is, too, because, you know what, even the last start that he had against Seattle, there were two breakaway goals, right? Yeah. Yeah. And he's given up 13 now uh, on 58, which is league average. That's actually league average. It's no better, no worse. But we saw him last year never get scored on a breakaway. Right. Right? And we haven't seen that yet. And that's also one of those moments. It's one of those singular moments in a game where you have a little time to think before the shot. Because as the goalie prepares himself to take the right depth and to get out and be square, the player's coming over the red line and you've got a few seconds. And I wonder if he's just thinking a little too much in those instances where he's trying to be a difference maker. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So to close things out, I figured we would uh, we'd have to touch on this. Vitaly Kravtsov, it's been reported, has asked for a, another trade out of New York. Um, he had bounced. He had been out of the lineup for four games, came back in for one, and then was scratched uh, the last couple. What, what are your thoughts here? I mean, uh, to me, it seems like we've kind of talked about it all year. He hasn't exactly found his role on the team. He hasn't been able to show. Um, you know, the offense, which is, which is really the main part of his game. He gets pushed around a bit in the corners. It, it doesn't seem like he's physically, um, you know, maybe mature enough yet to, to be an everyday player in the league. What what do you make of this? And, and what do you think the odds are that the trade request is honored as we go down the stretch here? Because to me, it seems like he probably wouldn't be a, a cornerstone of a piece. And I don't think if you're Chris Drury, you're just trying to throw him into, uh, you know, a package here just as an extra, you know, you probably, to me, you maybe wait till the off season and uh, you know, when there's, there's more teams available for him to go to, but just curious what your thoughts are here on, on Vitaly Kravtsov and, and where this whole thing goes. Well, I think that when I look at the player defensively first, he's not on for a lot against. Yeah. Uh, he is on the Rangers right now, the sixth best defensive forward. So for anybody to say that he can't play defense, that would be unfair. He's got 11 high danger scoring chances in his games played, which is pretty light for a guy that is coming in with that amount of talent and at least those expectations skill-wise. So does he have more to give offensively? If anything with me, and this is just eyeballs watching hockey, I just think he's getting pushed off the puck a little too easy. Yeah. And if he gets heavier, which we've seen with previous players that have come through here, he'll have more ability to hang on to the puck. Like, why is, why is the kid's kid line so good right now? Because Kako is able to hand, handle the puck and be able to manage it and work it down low and not give it back. Yep. And Kako was, I'm telling you right now, he was the worst defensive player in the league in his rookie season. And yeah, now, it was like a minus 26 or something, right? I mean, he was. <laughs> oh, and his underlying numbers, Chris, were no better. Oh, sure. I mean, yeah. He was yeah. on for every scoring chance against. He was that bad. And right now, when I look at the best defensive forwards on the Rangers, it goes Mika, Kreider, Kako. Yeah. So that's either a function of how often he has the puck and he's lugging it in the offensive zone, combined with some awareness coming back and being able to have enough pressure to get back and being able to play in your own zone. That's. If you're a young player, you do have to prove that you can defend. Like that part of it has to be, that box has to be checked if you're a coach. You just need to know that you can rely on them. Right. And then on the other side, you'd want to see them be able to extend zone time and hang on to the puck a little bit longer. And I think, and look, I've said this before, I just think that uh, the relationship between the American Hockey League and the NHL just isn't what it once was. You know, it just isn't. I, I remember going to the back of the bus in my rookie year in the American Hockey League and being so excited that I could carry the beer back there and just be invited for a couple of hands of poker, right? Like the back of my bus in the American League, my rookie year, 21 years old, all ex-NHLers. Like it was awesome. And then when I was age 33, 
I got sent back down. I cleared waivers and I went down to the American Hockey League. And in the back of the bus, it was like Dale Weiss and a bunch of guys that are like 19 and 20. And I was like, what is going on here? This was <laughs> yeah. the twilight zone. Yeah. And that's just the way the league and the relationship has gone. Point is, is that the best place for this guy right now would be just playing the American Hockey League, learn your game, make your mistakes, get ready to play, get bigger, stronger, faster. And he is one injury away right now from being in the top nine. Absolutely. So don't don't peel out right now, man. Like you're getting bad advice. Don't peel out right now. You're one you're one call up away from being able to play big minutes. And imagine if there was two injuries or any combination of bad play and injury. I don't know. I don't like it, but I, and I'm surprised that's the way the league has gone. But it's been trending like that for a while, and it's been it's been ten years. It's been ten, twelve years that I've started seeing that. I was shocked, and now it's kind of gotten even worse. Like it's not. It should never be a bad thing when you get sent down to the minors because you're there to develop. And I know I hear it. I see the fans like we can't develop anybody. We can't develop anybody because nobody is allowed to get developed or or will soak up the experience or embrace being developed. That's that's the hard part. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's right. And look, you're absolutely right. Last season when he they were trying to send him down to the AHL. He didn't want to accept that. He ended up going back to Russia a game later, two games later. I forget who yes. got hurt. He would have been the next guy up. And you're absolutely right. Gerard Gallant even said it that, you know, he's a top nine player. That doesn't make sense to have him playing, you know, six minutes or whatever on the fourth line. That's not where he's going to be best suited. But it's the same situation right now. You know, he could he, not that they're necessarily going to send him down to the HL, but if he's going to get scratched and somebody gets hurt out of the top nine, he's going right back in. So it does seem um you know, probably not the best, best move on his part, but you know, I think, I think it is important to give credit to him though. I mean, he has, seems like he's had a, from an outside perspective, it seems like he's had a good attitude generally throughout the season. Like it doesn't seem like he's a malcontent or whatever, but you know, he just wants more of an opportunity. But, and, but like you you see, Chris, look at the lineup, man. Where, oh, did, no, where, where are you going in there? Like you've no. got a kid line that's playing unreal. You've got an awesome second line right now. Like we said, whether it's Goudreau or VZ and come on the top line, you know, you haven't earned your stripes yet. That's just the way it should be. And I'm I'm old school that way. People may think that I'm analytics driven and all that. No, no, I'm I'm really 50-50 when it comes to how I see things and how I would approach things and how I would use the information that I have to grow the player. Yeah, no, I'm I'm completely with you on that. I mean, that's the thing. Look at look at what a, a Jimmy Vesey did with did with his opportunity. Came in on a tryout, got extended. He's played great. You know, I think he's he's really played his role very well. And people can argue all day long about Kraftsoff has more skill, this and that, but it's really about who fits well on the line that he's on and does the job that he's supposed to do. And right now, Vitaly Kraftsoff's not filling the net with goals. It's not like the kid's got 15 goals and they're like, all right, we don't want him to play. That's not the situation. Yeah. I'm sure if he was putting pucks in the net, he'd definitely still be in the lineup. And, you know, that's a, uh, you know, that's something that, well, you yeah, said he's like, got to develop into that. High danger chances. If you want to be a scoring player, whether you're a passer or you are a shooter, you need to be on the ice when your team creates high danger chances. Springing breakaways, two-on-ones, three-on-twos, screen deflections, all those things. And, you know, come on. I don't, I don't have his games played in front of me. I think it's 28 or 29. But he's got 11, he's got 11 grade-A scoring chances. You know, like that's not, that's not 33. It's 11. So it's <laughs> right. not like you've done that much. I mean, I'll tell you what. I hear this from kids that I coach too. It's it's out there. I mean, one guy. It's just a quick off off story, but no, one of the guys I one of the guys I coached, 
he uh, didn't get through the American Hockey League, and um, in the summertime, he finished in the East Coast League, and he's like, you know, Valley, I, ne- I just never got a chance. I'm like, yeah, you did. You went 0-5-1 in the American League. 0-5-1. You got six chances. You got to win a game. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, that stuff pisses me off. That's where I get fired up. It's like, don't tell me you didn't get a chance, man. You, you got a chance. And that's a lot of athletes nowadays. And that, that attitude drives me bananas. You can see I get fired up. I do. I love it. It's good. Listen, we're going down the stretch here. You got to stay fired up. Things are things are happening, and we need to uh, we need to get ready for it. I hear you. <laughs> well, uh, I think that's all we got today. Um, I really appreciate you jumping on. Um, I-, I talked to you this morning. I said Arthur's not going to make it. You said the show must go on, and and here we are. So uh, thank you, Valley, and uh, we look forward to next week. Hey, buddy. Anytime, Arthur. We might be able to fit you in next week, buddy. Be well. Yeah, we'll see. This went pretty smoothly. Uh, uh, Thank you, everybody, for listening to the Garden Faithful podcast. It would be great if you followed us on your favorite podcast platform. Leave us a rating and review if you're enjoying the show. It helps us grow the show. And uh, right now, you can get a one-year subscription to The Athletic for $2 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash EGF. I'm Chris Flannery, producer Chris. That's Steve Valiquette. For Arthur Staple, we will talk to you guys next week.